Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1217, Fun with Rick, Stephen, and Donna. This is being recorded on December 3rd of the year 2021. Before we get into the main body of the program and before I explain the meaning of the title, uh, three important points. Uh, there are links at the top of each for the record description. I turn each program into a long written description in order to make this admittedly very dense pedantic format more accessible to more listeners. And at the top of each food for thought description and at the top of each food for thought post, there are a number of links. Now, one of those links will enable you to subscribe, not to subscribe, but to obtain the 32 gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it and also a library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. I have uh, updated, or the flash drive is updated through For the Record program number 1215. That is the Oswald Institute of Virology, part 13, the top agonistes and the Northwoods virus. Uh, the library has been made, or the flash drive, I should say, has been made as current as possible because, frankly, I am extremely pessimistic and I don't think, frankly, that we are going to make it. And I hope that listeners will take it upon themselves to get a hold of the flash drive and that way they will become repositories for the information that we are presented, you know, that basically I have been presenting and that I think, frankly, is going to overcome our civilization. The events uh, described for, and I'm now at my 43rd year on the air, I think are going to overwhelm our civilization. I think basically uh, we are doomed. I could not be more pessimistic. And uh, that seems extreme. Well, I hope I'm wrong. I don't think I am. And I can't stress strongly enough that listeners should get a hold of that archive and make themselves repositories for information about the forces that I think are going to collapse and disintegrate our civilization. I get no money whatsoever from that, and again, I am in my 43rd year on the air, and uh, the my entire life's work is available on that flash drive. Another link will enable you to subscribe to the comments that are made, most of them by our brilliant contributing editor, Terrafractal, sometimes uh, by other intelligent listeners. The third link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by sister station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, and for many people that is the case, uh, WFMU, sister station WFMU, is podcasting the broadcast, okay? Now, the title of the program, I uh, 
as a boy growing up, and I'm an old geezer of 72 at this point, but when I was a kid, we used to have these little reading books to get you to uh, learn to read, and one of the ones that has retained a high profile in my memory banks uh, involved uh, the adventures of Dick and Jane and their little dog, Spot. And uh, people, young young pikes <laughs> like myself, uh, were encouraged to uh, read about uh, their, uh, quote, adventures, unquote, or activities would be a better way of uh, putting it. And you would talk about, or uh, we would talk about, see Dick run, run Dick run, or see Jane run, run Jane run, or see Spot walk. Walk spot walker, see spot run, run spot run, or see spot be a bad doggy. Not mouse spot bad doggy. Um, the title of the program is uh, Phone with Rick and Steve and Donna. Rick actually could probably be amended to Dick. Those are the fictional couple and their fictional son. Stephen, uh, I believe we will, we'll find that, I, I, as I recall, <laughs> Stephen is the son and Rick is the father. This is a myth, a, a fictional protean family that figures in the introduction to a marvelous book uh, called The Complex, subtitled How the Military Invades Our Everyday Lives. It is authored by Nick Purse, P-U-R-S-E, the author also of the book Kill Anything That Moves, uh, a book that we accessed during our series on the the narco-fascist regime of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang. Uh, The book Kill Anything That Moves, about the very disturbing realities of uh, the Vietnam War, is an excellent book, and this also is just a magnificent piece of work. It is a short book. It is very clearly written. The, the print is very large. And so this book is proof that big things can indeed come in the small packages. Again, the title of the book, The Complex, How the Military Invades Our Everyday Lives by Nick Purse, P-U-R-S-E, published in softcover by Picadora, which is a publication or a publishing subsidiary of Metropolitan Books, which in turn is an imprint of Henry Holt and Company. It was published in softcover in March of 2009 and is copyright 2008 by Nick Purse. Again, this is a very impactful book to coin the term and I can't recommend it strongly enough um, as is the case of the flash drive which is, has all of my life's work I get no money whatsoever from this but uh, this is a very important book and I think that the overall message uh, is of an importance that could not be exaggerated uh, in a number of programs, uh, 
I have accessed a letter uh, from or a, a, a um, excerpt of a column from Dorothy Thompson that was published in, I believe, 1940, before the U.S. entered World War II, in the New York Herald Tribune. And it describes the strategy of the German industrialists who not only backed Hitler, but who presided over the cartels based in Germany. And they pursued a strategy that is predicated upon the fact, and I think it is a fact, that economic control leads automatically to political control. That might seem a little facile to some people, but I believe it is a very important thing to grasp. Again, economic control leads automatically to political control. The title of the book, The Complex, is derived from President Eisenhower's State of the Union speech in 1961, just before he left office, when he spoke about the military-industrial complex. It is a very well-known and very important speech, and that is the speech uh, that is the reference uh, made by the title of the book, The Complex, again, subtitled, How the Military Invades Our Everyday Lives. And in the introduction, uh, it's called A Day in the Life. Uh, It accesses a day in the life of this fictional family, Rick, uh, Dom and his wife, and their teenage son, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N. And it goes through their daily lives and talks about the things they use and the things they eat, the various products that figure into their lives, as well as some of the media events. And it points out that the family are basically what are known as political liberals. They are opposed to the war in Iraq, and this book, again, was published in the 2008. One of the main, or the distinctive feature, the raison d'etre, really, for this introduction, again called A Day in the Life, is to show how many of the products that we use, how many of the products that go to make up the everyday life of the average American are in fact companies that do a great deal of business with the Pentagon. And the Pentagon's annual budget uh, for many years exceeded, and I think it's even greater than that now, the yearly corporate earnings of the entire Fortune 500 combined. That may not be the case in the tech era, but I believe it still is in any event the dominant economic aspect of American life in many ways is the Pentagon. And the military itself has a special element of leverage over society, which is frankly that if you get in their way past a point, if they cannot remove you through peaceful means, there are other ways of getting rid of you as well. And that can be uh, quite, the, the, the term getting rid of can be quite literal. Just witness what happened to President Kennedy. The Again, the concept that was discussed 
by Dorothy Thompson in that uh, column from the New York Herald Tribune in 1940, which is featured in the Books for Download section of the SpitfireList.com website and also on the 32-gigabyte flash drive that I described earlier, uh, is in the book Germany Plots with the Kremlin by T.H. Tetons, T-E-T-E-N-S. And again, the concept that economic control leads automatically to political control should be borne in mind. And as I read this introduction, and we may not have time for the entire introduction, uh, Nick Terse also uh, graduates in this introduction to discussion of the hit science fiction movies, The Matrix, and he compares our daily lives to those of the characters in The Matrix with the Pentagon and its enormous budget and its consequent impact on our lives as basically the creators of and operators of the matrix. We may not have time to get into that aspect of the introduction, although perhaps we will. If we don't, then we will access that in our next program. So again, from the book The Complex, How the Military Invades Our Everyday Lives by Nick Purse, here is Introduction, A Day in the Life. And I call this fun with Rick and Donna and Stephen. Rick is a mid-level manager in a financial services company in New York City. Each day, he commutes from Weehawken, New Jersey, a suburb only a stone's throw from the Big Apple where he lives with his wife, Donna, and his teenage son, Stephen. A late baby boomer, Rick just missed the Vietnam era's anti-war protests, but he's been against the war in Iraq from the beginning. He thinks the Pentagon is out of control and considers the military-industrial complex a danger to the country. If you asked him, it's a subject on which he would rate himself as knowledgeable. One more time. Stephen is a late, a late baby, uh, no, excuse me, a late baby boomer Rick just missed the Vietnam era's anti-war protests, but he's been against the war in Iraq from the beginning. He thinks the Pentagon is out of control and considers the military-industrial complex a danger to the country. If you asked him, it's a subject on which he would rate himself as knowledgeable. He puts effort into educating himself on such matters. He reads liberal websites, subscribes to progressive-minded magazines, and is a devotee of John Stewart's Daily Show. In fact, he has no idea just how deep the Pentagon rabbit hole goes or how far down it his family already is. Rick believes that, despite its long reach, the military-industrial complex is a discrete entity far removed from his everyday life. Now, if this were 1961, when outgoing President Dwight B. Eisenhower warned the country about the, quote, unwarranted influence, unquote, of the, quote, military-industrial complex, unquote, and the, quote, large arms industry, unquote, 
already firmly entrenched in the United States, Rick might be right. After all, he doesn't work for one of the Pentagon's corporate partners like arms maker Lockheed Martin. He isn't in the Army Reserve. He's never attended a performance of the Marine Corps Band, not to mention the Army's, Navy's, or Air Force's music groups. But today's geared-up, high-tech complex is nothing like the olive-drab outfit of Eisenhower's day. It reaches deeper into American lives and the American psyche than Eisenhower could ever have imagined. The truth is that at every turn, in countless, not so visible ways, Rick's life is wrapped up with the military. So wake up with Rick and sample a single autumn morning as the alarm on his Sony Department of Defense contractor clock interrupts his final dream of the night. His wife, Dom, is already up and dressed in fitness apparel by Banskin, a Pentagon supplier that received over 780000 in the Department of Defense dollars in 2004 and another 456000 in 2005, and Haynes Herway, made by defense contractor and cake seller the Sarah Lee Corporation, which took in over $68 million from the Department of Defense in 2006. Committed to a healthy lifestyle, she's wearing sneakers from Department of Defense contractor New Balance and briskly jogging on a treadmill made by Department of Defense contractor True Fitness Technology. Rick drags himself to the bathroom, fixtures by Pentagon contractor Kohler, purchased at defense contractor Home Depot. There, he squeezes the Charmin, brushes with Crest toothpaste, washes his face face with Noxema, then, hopping into the shower, lathers up with zest, and chooses Donna's herbal essences over head and shoulders. What the hell, he mutters, I deserve an organic experience, unquote. The manufacturer of each of these products, Procter & Gamble, is among the top 100 defense contractors and raped in a cool $362,461,808 from the Pentagon in 2006. In go his Department of Defense supplier Bausch & Loam contact lenses, and down goes a Zantac for his ulcer from Department of Defense contractor GlaxoSmithKline. Heading back to the bedroom, he finds Dama finished with her workout and making the bed with the TV news on, and he lends her a hand. Their headboard was purchased from Thomasville Furniture, the mattress from Sears, the pillows were made by Harris Pillow Supply, all of them Pentagon contractors. They exchange grim glances as on their Samsung set, another Department of Defense contractor, the Today Show chronicles the latest in chaos in Iraq. Quote, Thank God we never supported this war, unquote, Rick says, thinking of the anti-war rally Bama and he attended even before the invasion was launched. NBC, which produces the Today Show, is owned by General Electric, 
the 14th largest defense contractor in the United States to the tune of $2.3 billion from the Department of Defense in 2006 and has worked on such weapons systems as the UH-60 Black Hawk helicopters and the FA-18 Hornet multi-mission fighter attack aircraft, both in use in Iraq. Of course, the Pentagon has long poured U.S. tax dollars into private coffers to arm and outfit the military and enable it to function. At the time of Eisenhower's farewell address, New York Times reporter Jack Raymond noted that the Pentagon was spending $23 billion a year for services and procurement of guns, missiles, airplanes, electronic devices, vehicles, tanks, ammunition, clothing, and other military goods, unquote. Today, that will equal around $200 billion. I, that, that was, uh, he says today that would, that would equal around 200 billion. This is close to 2008. In 2007, the Department of Defense's stated budget was 439 billion. Counting the costs of its wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the number jumps to over 600 billion dollars. Factoring in all the many related activities carried out by other agencies, actual U.S. national security spending is nearly $1 trillion per year. Back in Eisenhower's day, arms dealers and megacorporations such as Lockheed and General Motors held sway over the corporate side of the military-industrial complex. Companies like these still play an extremely powerful role today, but they are dwarfed by the sheer number of contractors that stretch from coast to coast and across the globe. Looking at the situation almost 10 years after Eisenhower's farewell speech, Sidney Lenz, L-E-N-S, a journalist and expert on U.S. militarism, noted that there were 20 2,000 prime contractors doing business with the U.S. Department of Defense in 1970. Today, the number of prime contractors tops 47,000, with subcontractors reaching well over the 100,000 mark, making for one massive conglomerate touching nearly every sector of society, from top computer manufacturer Dell the 50th largest Department of Defense contractor in 2006, to oil giant ExxonMobil, the 30th, to package shipping, to package shipping titan FedEx, the 26th. In fact, the Pentagon payroll is a veritable who's who of the top companies in the world. IBM, Time Warner, Ford and General Motors, Microsoft, NBC and its parent company, General Electric, Hilton and Marriott, Columbia TriStar Films and its parent company, Sony, Pfizer, Sarah Lee, Procter & Gamble, M&M Mars and Hershey, Nestle, ESPN and its parent company, Walt Disney, Bank of America, Johnson & Johnson, among many other big-name firms. But the difference between now and then isn't only in scale. 
As this list suggests, Pentagon spending is reaching into areas of American life previously neglected. Entertainment, popular consumer brands, sports. This penetration translates into a remarkable variety of forms of interaction with the public. Rick and Bama's home is full of the fruits of this incursion. As they puffer around in their kitchen, getting ready for the day ahead, they move from the wall cabinets purchased at Department of Defense contractor Lowe's Home Center to the refrigerator from Defense contractor Maytag, choosing their breakfast from a cavalcade of products made by Pentagon contractors. These companies that, quite literally, feed the Pentagon's war machine are the same firms that fill the shelves of America's kitchens. Like everything else about the military, food has undergone radical changes in recent years. The Navy deep-sixed its dairy back in the late 1990s, and huge piles of potatoes peeled by privates on KP duty, a joke of all war films, largely went out when the, quote, kitchen patrol, unquote, was privatized and became big business for firms like the French food services company Sodexo, S-O-D-E-X-H-O, which feeds the Marine Corps and received more than $154 million from the Department of Defense in 2006. Agility Logistics, a Kuwait-based company formerly named Public Warehousing that reaped $1.8 billion from the Pentagon in 2006, which is the U.S. Army's principal food supplier for the Iraq War Zone, and KBR, formerly Kellogg, Brown, and Root, whose employees and subcontractors do everything from cooking the meals to washing the dishes for the U.S. military in Iraq. Today, just about every supermarket staple has ties to the Pentagon. And there was a table for uh, several pages in length, uh, with the names of the many, many co- food companies and the overlapping, uh, cleaning and, uh, pharmaceutical products or healthcare products, uh, which are basically, uh, in addition to, uh, driving the civilian economy in those areas are major defense contractors as well. And again, as uh, Dorothy Thompson noted in that column, economic control leads automatically to political control. And as people uh, observe the near-automatic process of approving the spectacularly large Pentagon budgets, just bear in mind the pork barrel concept and think about how many of their elected representatives are indeed in voting for the Pentagon budget, serving their constituents, because those constituents are employed or using the products of the Defense Department or their contractors. Continuing now with a day in the life of what I call uh, fun with Rick, Stephen, and Bama. The same holds for many household appliances, that is to say they are defense contractors. In Rick and Bama's dining room, a small Roomba, R-O-O-M-B-A, robotic vacuum cleaner buzzes around the floor. 
Rick thought it would be cute to have a little mechanical device throwing around the house, making their hectic lives just a tad easier. Little did he know that Roomba's manufacturer, iRobot, takes in U.S. tax dollars, 51 million of them from the Department of Defense in 2006, more than a quarter of the company's revenue, and turns them into PackBots, tactical robots used by troops occupying Iraq and Afghanistan, and beginning in 2008, Warrior X-700s, 250-pound semi-autonomous, one more time, and beginning in 2008, Warrior X-700s, 250-pound semi-autonomous robots armed with heavy weapons such as machine guns. This again from the Roomba, R-O-O-M-B-A, robotic vacuum cleaner company that makes her a cute little robotic vacuum cleaner. Continuing. In addition to selling millions of Roombas to civilian consumers, the company uses government tax dollars to make money on the civilian side of its business. According to the company's December 2006 annual report, which listed as its research support agencies, unquote, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, the U.S. Space and Naval Warfare Systems Command, the U.S. Army Tank or Automotive and Armaments Command, and the U.S. Army Armament Research Development and Engineering Center, government funding, quote, allows iRobot to accelerate the development of multiple technologies, unquote. Yet iRobot retains, quote, ownership of patents and know-how and is generally free to develop other commercial products, including consumer and industrial products, utilizing the technologies developed during these projects. It's a very sweet deal, and iRobot is hardly alone. Sitting on the dining room table is Rick's HP Hewlett-Packard notebook computer. Hewlett-Packard is another company that has grown its civilian know-how with generous military contracts, like the multi-year, multi-million dollar deal it signed in 2005 with Burpa, quote, to develop technologies to improve the performance of mission-critical computer networks used during combat and other vital operations, unquote. A spokesman for the company noted, quote, Our work for DARPA is aimed at significantly improving the performance of the Internet. If we can successfully create new approaches to the way Internet traffic is detected and rooted, we may start seeing the Internet used as the de facto communications and information network in areas where it previously would have been thought too risky, unquote. Success would certainly translate into more lucrative civilian work as well. By the way, parenthetically, I would uh, insert in this point in the book, or and will insert in this point of the discussion, a reference to the consummately important book, Surveillance Valley by Yasha Levine. We accessed that in about five or six different programs, uh, roughly for the record program 11, uh, for the record program 1075 through 1081. The internet itself is not a wonderful uh, 
communications system. It is an information weapon developed by BERPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or ARPA. It is part of the of an overlapping series of projects called Operation Agile. It is a military project. It is an information weapon. It isn't some wonderful God-sent communications network. It is an information weapon, and its purpose is counterinsurgency. That is a very dry-sounding term that, in fact, uh, embodies, and I mean that literally, a very wet and I mean that literally to wet work, by the way, in military and intelligence parlance, refers to assassinations, uh, operations in which blood is spilled, hence the term wet. Uh, in For the Record Program 1076, I believe it was perhaps 1075, we accessed a miscellaneous archive show in which we noted a couple of points. Uh, One of them is that Adolf Hitler was not a nut. He was an, an undercover German army intelligence officer who infiltrated the German left-wing revolution in the Munich area, pretended to be one of the revolutionaries, then, after the city was retaken by government troops, fingered the leaders of the revolution who were then taken out and shot. Again, he wasn't a nut, he was a spook. And in that regard, we also accessed uh, a portion of Adolf Hitler's speech to the Industry Club of Dusseldorf in 1931. It was that speech that helped, and maybe it was 1932, but in any event, shortly before the ascent of the Nazi regime, it was that speech which won the major industrialists over to Hitler's side. Previously, many of them had supported other reactionary parties, such as the Stahlhelm or Steel Helmet, but Hitler convinced them to back his Nazi party with that speech to the Industry Club of Dusseldorf. And in that speech, he equated democracy with communism, because he said that if you allow people to have democracy, then they will structure things in such a way as to elevate counter-evolutionary elements, not counter revolutionary elements with an R, but counter-evolutionary elements. In other words, uh, elements or people and institutions that are themselves inferior to the, uh, by definition, superior elements and individuals who have uh, risen to the top in the industrial economy. This is exactly the sort of literal social Darwinism that was music to the ears of the assembled uh, individuals of the Industry Club of Dusseldorf, and they then backed Adolf Hitler. The term counterinsurgency is to be viewed in that context. So again, our series about the consummately important book, Surveillance Valley by Yasha Levine, one of those essential books like Gold Warriors by Sterling and Peggy Seagrave, or Martin Borman, Nazi in Exile by Paul Manning, or All Honorable Men by James Stuart Martin. Those last two are among the books for download for free on the SpitfireList.com website and on the flash drive. Without having read those books, 
you will not be able to completely understand the world that you live in. So again, I think that that interjection needs to be made at this point. Now back to Nick Truce's introduction of Day in the Life. Meanwhile, Rick and Donna's son, Stephen, is still upstairs having a hard time tearing himself away from his computer game. His room is a veritable showcase of the new entertainment, sports, high-tech, pop culture dimension of the 21st century complex. There are NASCAR posters. In 2005, more than $38 million in taxpayer money was spent on U.S. Armed Forces race cars. National Football League jerseys and baseball caps. The NFL has partnered with the Pentagon to create military profiles aired during TV broadcasts of regular and post-season games, while individual NFL teams have hosted, quote, military appreciation, unquote, events. X-Men comic books, the Pentagon teamed up with Marvel Comics to produce limited edition military-exclusive comic books with pro-Pentagon themes that are now sought after by civilian collectors, and a wastebasket filled with empty Mountain Dew bottles. The Air Force was one of the sponsors of the Dew Action Sports Tour, a traveling show featuring skateboarding, BMX, and freestyle motocross contests. During Ike's time, when firms like Ford and AT&T were the big military suppliers, the payroll showed an utter lack of cool companies. Now, the Pentagon is reaching into virgin territory in new ways with new partners. Today, hip firms like Apple, Google, and Starbucks are also on DOD contractors' lists. And while Ike's Cup Complex was typified by brass bands and patriotic parades, today's variant is a flashy, digitized world of video games, extreme sports, and everything cool that appeals to potential young recruits. Stephen finally shuts down tropical Paradise Island, a nation-building simulation video game where the player as El Presidente, unquote, attempts to lure tourists to his, her fun in the sun resort. Neither father nor son is remotely aware that the software maker Breakaway Games does taxpayer-funded work for such military clients as DARPA, the Joint Forces Command, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, and the United States Air Force, as well as having developed 24 Blue, that blue is with a capital B, a simulator used to improve aircraft carrier-based operations. They are blissfully unaware of even the existence of Breakaway's Pentagon-funded video game that could conceivably lead to more effective bombing of targets abroad. Stephen grabs his iPod MP3 player from Defense, Department of Defense contractor Apple Computer and heads downstairs to leave with his father. Heading for the door, Rick goes to his bookshelf and scans a selection of progressive texts whose publishers just happen to be D-O... One more time. Heading for the door, Rick goes to his bookshelf and scans a selection of progressive texts whose publishers 
just happened to be Department of Defense contractors, including a release, including a reissue of Rachel Carson's Silent Spring by Houghton Mifflin, Bushwhacked, Life in George W. Bush's America by Lou DuBose and Molly Ivins, Random House, and John Stewart's America, the book published by Warner Brooks, Warner Books, before choosing the Hugo Chavez-approved Hegemony or Survival by Noam Chomsky. Ahem, Metropolitan Books from Macmillan Publishers. As the last one out, Obama sets the ABP alarm system. ABP took in more than $16 million from the Pentagon in 2006, while its parent company, Tyco International, cleaned up to the tune of over $187 million. Rick and Stephen hop into the Saturn Park in the driveway. Rick is proud of his car choice. After all, Saturn has such a people-friendly, even anti-Detroit establishment vibe. Admittedly, he is aware that General Motors not only owns the Saturn, but the the Hummer brand, the civilian version of the U.S. military's Humvee. But he believes that in this world, you can't be squeaky clean perfect. But Hummer isn't the half of it. How could Rick have known that in 1999, GM formally entered the Army's combat, C-O-M-B-A-P-P, all in caps, commercially based tactical truck vehicle development program, or that GM actually had its own military division, General, General Motor Defense, when his Saturn was made. Nor could Rick have known that GM Defense formed a joint venture with defense giant General Dynamics to create the GM GBLS Defense Group, which was awarded in excess of $1.5 billion in Department of Defense contract dollars in 2005, or that GM took in $87 million from the Pentagon in 2006, or that in 2007, GM entered into a 50-year lease agreement to build a $100 million test track on the U.S. Army's Yuma Proving Grounds, or that the maker of his Saturn's Tires, Goodyear, was America's 69th largest defense contractor in 2004, with Department of Defense contracts worth nearly $357 million. Rick might be an aging baby boomer, but he still tries to look cool to his son Stephen's embarrassment. As he pulls the Saturn out of the driveway, he dons a pair of Oakley sunglasses, Oakley supplies goggles and boots to U.S. troops. And while the military purchased goggles from firms such as the American Optical Company during the 1940s, it's unlikely that anyone ever called that company's designs B-A-B-A blank blank as Powder, a skiing magazine that runs Army recruitment ads on its website called one of Oakley's products. Driving along, Rick glances over at his son. Are those the Wolverine boots you, we just got you? One more time. Driving along, Rick glances over at his son. Quote, Are those the Wolverine boots we just got you? Yeah, Dad, answers Stephen, looking down at his now ratty footwear. Rick's already thinking about the next pair he'll need to buy his son, not about the five-year 
multi-million dollar contract the company signed in 2003 to supply the Army with an upgraded infantry combat boot, or the other deals were tens of millions of dollars that Wolverine signed with the Pentagon in 2004, 2006, and 2007. As they drive to his school, Stephen perks up. That's it, Dad, he says, pointing at the Ford Escape that just pulled into the high school parking lot. What do you say, Dad, next year when I get my license? Rick remembers hearing on the radio that Ford makes an Escape hybrid electric vehicle. You know what, son? I think we just might look into it, unquote. He experiences a little burst of satisfaction. Not only can he feel like a good dad, but as a bonus, he can even help the environment. Ford Motor Company and its subsidiaries have, of course, garnered rafts of defense contracts and aided the Army and Navy in various projects. Overjoyed, Stephen shoots his father a big smile as he opens the car door. All right. Well, I'll see you tonight, Dad. Do you have your cell phone, Rick asks. Stephen whips a Motorola from his pocket. Motorola made almost $308 million from the Department of Defense in 2004, while the phone's service provider Verizon took home more than $128 million in Defense Department of, De- Department of Defense contracts and $50 million more from the Department of Homeland Security in 2006. One more time. Motorola made almost $308 million from the Department of Defense in 2004, while the phone's service provider Verizon took home more than $128 million in Department of Defense contracts and $50 million more from the Department of Homeland Security in 2006. With Stephen at school, Rick heads for work. He gives the local Exxon station. Exxon Mobil took in more than $1.17 billion in Department of Defense dollars in 2006. A pass and instead pulls into Shell, which likes to portray itself as a kinder, gentler audio, a, 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 which likes to portray itself as a kinder, greener oil giant. One more time. ExxonMobil took in more than $1.17 billion in Department of Defense dollars in 2006, a pass, and instead pulls into Shell, which likes to portray itself as a kinder, gentler oil giant. The kinder, greener oil giant, excuse me. As he signs the receipt of his Bank of America credit card, a firm which issues special credit cards to Pentagon employees to streamline the process of buying supplies for the, the Department of Defense, Rick has no way of knowing that Shell's parent company, N.V. Konemnike Neverlandische, was the 31st largest defense contractor in 2006, reaping over one point one. $1.15 billion in Department of Defense contracts. Rick's route to work doesn't pass an Army barracks, an Air Force base, Halberton's offices, or a single factory of a defense giant like Boeing or General Dynamics. Nevertheless, he manages to zip by a veritable who's who of defense contractors or their subsidiaries even if they look like the staple businesses of any town, USA. They include an AMF bowling alley, a Walmart, 
um, office, Max office supply store, um, Ace hardware store, a Comp USA computer store, a Hilton hotel, an Avis rental car, a Staples office supply store, a Home Depot, and a BP gas station. Entering the Holland Tunnel on his way to Manhattan, Rick realizes that, with Stephen driving next year, he can start taking mass transit to work. The PATH train, that's all in the CAPS PATH train to, into the city, recently was stored under the watchful eye of Bechtel, the 15th largest defense contractor of 2004, and the recipient of more than $1.7 billion in Department of Defense contracts that year, will, he believes, lessen his footprint, unquote, on the planet. Keep in mind, Rick is now only a couple of hours into his long day. In fact, no part of the hours to come will be lacking in products produced by Pentagon contractors, from the framed photographs of Obama and Stephen on his desk, taken by an Olympus camera and printed on Kodak paper, to the beer he drinks with lunch, Budweiser, to most of the products around his office, including 3M Post-it Notes, Microsoft Windows Software, Lexmark Printers, Canon Photocopiers, AT&T Telephones, Maxwell House Coffee from Altria, KB Fire Extinguishers, that's K-I-B-B-E, Xerox Fax Machines, IBM Servers, Paper from International Paper, Duracell Batteries from Procter & Gamble, an LG Electronics Refrigerator, and paper towels by Marcal Paper Mills. Later in the day, Rick drops in to see the head of the company's IP department and, gazing around the room, notices the same on some sort beginning again. Later in the day, Rick drops in to see the head of the company's IP department and, gazing around the room, notices the name on some software. Oracle, quote, the world's largest enterprise software company, unquote. Even if he knew that Oracle received over $93 million from the Department of Defense in 2005, what would remain invisible is the way many corporations that supply the military additionally belong to a tight-knit, mutually reinforcing clan of contractors. For example, not only do, quote, seven of the top ten aerospace and defense companies from Oracle applications, unquote, including top arms dealers Boeing, $20.3 billion in sales to the Department of Defense in 2006, and General Dynamics, but so do other tech industry heavy hitters such as IBM, which sold the Navy, quote, the fastest supercomputer in the U.S. military in 2004. Additionally, the company has partnered with Microsoft, which in 2006 received over $41 million from the Department of Defense and some microsystems whose high-productivity computing project is partially funded by a $50 million award from DARPA. Additionally, Oracle's client General Dynamics also counts among its strategic partners Alcatel Worldwide, Quest, and Cisco Systems, all of them inextricably bound up in the complex, unquote. In 2004, Quest, a leading provider of voice, video, and data services to more than 25 million customers, 
named a 5-year deal to be, quote, the exclusive provider of data and voice communications to the White Sands Missile Range, unquote. Dizzy yet? It gets worse. Cisco Systems, quote, a worldwide leader in networking for the Internet, unquote, has, quote, strategic alliances, unquote, with Department of Defense contractors such as Microsoft, IBM, and Intel, and signed a deal in 2004 with that year's number two Pentagon contractor, Boeing, which makes Harrier II tactical strike aircraft for the Marines to enhance the defense giant's voice and data networks. But this is just business as usual in the incestuous tangle of Pentagon contractors. After a long day at the office, Rick heads home, ready to catch NBC Nightly News and later Law and Order, both products of defense giant General Electric. Or maybe he'll tune in to CBS and watch NCIS, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, the action drama starring Mark Harmon that has received assistance from the U.S. military. Or, since the whole family will be home, they might even play Scrabble. While it is decidedly low-tech and far from cool, even Scrabble has ties to the Pentagon. The game's maker, Hasbro, has had a long relationship with the military, and whenever they need specs for an action figure's uniform or some other insider info, they just pick up the phone or send an email, as they did to the Army Soldier Systems Center two days after the Iraq War began in order to get the latest intel on military gear. Rick is, of course, a fiction, but the rest of us aren't, and neither is the existence of the real Matrix. In 1957, the prescient scholar C. Wright Mills pointed to the World War II, one more time. In 1957, the prescient scholar C. Wright Mills pointed to World War II as the moment when the, quote, merger of the corporate economy and the military bureaucracy came to its present day significance, unquote. Mills' identification of a, quote, economic military alliance, unquote, reaching into the halls of politics, science, and technology, and higher education, presaged Eisenhower's 1961 address warning about the growth of a full-blown American military-industrial complex, unquote. In that capstone speech to the nation, the departing commander-in-chief explained to the American public that the United States had created, quote, a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions, unquote, and that the perils of this new, quote, conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry, unquote, were dire. Warning against, quote, the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought by the military-industrial complex, unquote, he insisted that, quote, only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meeting of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together, unquote. By the time of Eisenhower's farewell address, 
the military-industrial complex was already well entrenched in American life, and the public was not up to the task of checking, let alone reversing its power, especially in the Cold War world. Today, it is nearly impossible to imagine the public even considering the task, no less imagining what it would require. After all, even Ike never imagined the emergence of a complex of such epic proportions that it someday almost... Imp- that, one more time. After all, even like Ike... Picture, after all, even Ike never imagined the emergence of a complex of such epic proportions that it would someday almost entirely envelop American culture. One more time, because this, I think, it really is the thesis statement of this entire program, really this entire book. And really, <laughs> it is the thesis statement of our entire civilization, which I think is coming to an end. After all, even Ike never imagined the emergence of a complex of such epic proportions that it would someday almost entirely envelop American culture. However, the military-industrial complex was never truly confined to the armaments industry, unquote, as Mills and others made perfectly clear. As early as the 1960s, some scholars began to write about a military-industrial-academic complex or a golden triangle, unquote, of military agent again quoting military agencies, the high-technology industry, and research universities, unquote. Others focused on the iron triangle, unquote, of military contractors, the Pentagon, and Congress. Still others have proposed self-explanatory formulations as the, quote, military-industrial media entertainment network, unquote, military-industrial entertainment complex, unquote, military, a quote, military-industrial think tank complex, or even the metropolitan military complex, unquote. In recent years, commentators have added whole new associated subcomplexes like the security industrial complex, the homeland security complex, the cyber security industrial complex, the surveillance industrial complex, as well as allied entities like the prison industrial complex, the disaster capitalism complex, and various other adjuncts to and derivations from Eisenhower's now famous formulation. None of these, however, completely describes, let alone captures, the full breadth of the complex as it exists today. And uh, we'll continue with this in our next program, overlapping the text with some of what we have just read. This concludes, for the record, program number 1217, fun with Stephen, Donna, and Rick. This is being recorded on December 3rd of the year 2021. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.